0: Hi, you're listening to Happy Hour with Stretch and Stir Fry. You can find us on SailWorld.com, YachtsAndYachting.com and iTunes. Good evening folks. Tonight we have an amazing guy on the pod. Uh, he's a mover, he's a shaker, He's a phenomenal advert for British yachting and for all that's good in the world of yachting. It's Peter Morton. Morty,
1: good evening. Hello,
0: Sturfright. Long time no see. Yes, yes, but you look disappointingly fit and well.
1: Well, it's uh, not working for the last eight weeks, isn't it? Ah, oh. should take it up permanently.
2: If
0: I, I could I, afford to, I would. Sorry, Stretch. How are you, matey?
2: I'm very well, thanks, Sturfright. I'm very well. Um, I absolutely refuse to believe that Morty has not taken any time off in the last eight weeks. Knowing him, we well, have been have yeah. been endless things, plotting and planning. Yeah, well, there's a bit of truth in that stretch.
1: Yeah, we've been working a bit at work, so there you go.
2: As a boatyard, well,
1: it's okay. I mean, you know, we, I mean, the shipyard over here builds builds vessels that move people, and people don't want to move at the moment. So, um, you know, we've had a bit of a setback, but. Uh, We've got some commercial boats on the go, and you know all the people that normally have boats from us this time of the year have just put them back a bit. So we've just, uh, you know, we've got to hibernate really and do do the little jobs. We've actually got uh, some uh, yachts in the yard at the moment, and uh, we're helping with the refits and that. In fact, I saw Tubby and uh, Richie O'Farrell today. They're working in the yard on a on a Swan ninety.
2: So Morty, um, for for everyone who's listening. You're now your CEO of the the White Shipyard which is the very famous almost sort of iconic building for the Isle of Wight really as you come in to the river on the left is that correct is that the one?
1: Yeah that's right the old um, what used to be originally was Saunders Row and then British hovercraft and uh, more recently White Shipyard yeah.
2: What what just made you decide you're going to become a captain of industry and go and go into (laughs) building very large ferries.
1: <laughs> well, I mean, sort of got into it a bit by, uh, by accident, really. You know, my business partner, Charles Dunstan, we had a number of property businesses between us. And, uh, well, it's 10 years ago now. He called me up one day and said, I've seen this, this big boat up in Lowestoft that I want to buy and, uh, and restore it. And he said, come up. So I shot up to Lowestoft and in a mud berth up there was this sort of 1938 wreck of a steel ship. Um, and, and he said, right, what are we going to do with it? And I said, well, sink it or blow it up or something, but don't buy it. And he said, no, 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 I want to buy it. So he ended up doing a deal and it was Shimara, which was, um, Sir Bernard Docker's uh, boat or original boat and then owned by Harry Himes. And it had been lying up in Lowestoft in the mud since 1985. Um, but he was determined, absolutely determined. And when he makes his mind up, Charles, he, he tends to see it through. And, uh, so we then talked about how we would do it and said, well, you can't put it into a shipyard because you can't scope the work. You know, you'll, you'll just be, you'll just get absolutely reamed. And um, so he said, okay, well, then we'll do it ourselves. So we um, we arranged the towing of the thing back from Lowestoft. We patched it up where we could and managed to convince the tug company to tow it down to Portsmouth. And then we rented the big uh, building in Porchester, which where um, uh, they used to build frigates and corvettes. And we put it in that, and assembled a team of of uh, what was initially going to be just a team of subcontractors to put it together. But very quickly we decided we'd take people on ourselves, and we did the job, finished it. And after that, uh, you know, Charles said to me we should really try and keep a bit of a legacy, to you know keep the British shipbuilding going again. And we had an opportunity to uh, build uh, a ferry for Red Funnel, Red Jet Six, and uh, managed to convince Red Funnel that. We could do it and they signed the contract and we built Red Jet 6 and then that led on to Thames Clippers Um, so we built some uh, some boats for Thames Clippers on the river we built three for them Uh, and then we got some export orders uh, one for Austria two for Mexico and we're just finishing off four for Malta at the moment so um, it's sort of worked (laughs) out okay you can't make any money out of it but it's it's a good business and It employs lots of local lads, so it's always, you know, interesting to try and keep these things going.
2: I was about to say, it's a huge, must be a huge thing for the Isle of Wight to have employment like that. I mean, it's such a rare piece of industry for the island to have. I mean...
1: Yeah, I mean, interestingly enough, there's a lot of skills on the Isle of Wight going back a long time. I mean, you know, if you look back at Saunders Row, Saunders Row um, built the three biggest aluminium flying boats ever built, the Princesses, you know, Samuel White's up the rivers, they, they used to build dis- destroyers, frigates, submarines. Um, you know, there were 3,000 shipwrights in cows at one stage. Um, and then, of course, British hovercraft, the first ever hovercraft was built and launched from from the island. So there's a history. You know, I've got a, a lad working for me whose father worked at British hovercraft and his grandfather worked for Saunders Row. So, yeah, th- th- I mean, there is good engineering skills on the island. And I think, uh, you know, we've just tried to keep that going And sp- specifically aluminium skills.
0: As it's grown, Morty, do you feel a, a relatively large uh, response? You know, uh, you're responsible now for a lot of people's livelihoods, which is a little bit different. Does that weigh on your shoulders?
1: Yeah, it does. I mean, you know, the, the problem with it is it's, it's either feast or famine. You know, you've either inundated with orders or you have none. So what we've got to try and do is, is even out the order look book a little bit. And, you know, nobody orders boats five years in advance. It's a bit like, you know, they... Oh, we need a new boat. We need a new boat. We want it in six months' time, and then, you know, nobody will say now we want a boat in ten years' time. And we've got, you know, indications from people like Tens Clippers. They've got 23 boats in their fleet, and, um, you know, they've told us that 13 of them need replacing. But that's a big difference between that and signing a contract. And yeah. you know, this COVID thing has turned all that upside down because people aren't using ferries anymore. So, it's not, it's not, it's not easy. But you know, we'll just keep going. You know, the wind farm market's quite good at the moment. We're building some wind farm boats, so wind farm support boats. So just whatever whatever we can pick up.
0: And I don't think it's coincidence. I mean, you've been the driving force behind uh, many British programmes, projects, etc. over the years. that you're at the helm of industry now. I mean, if we go back, obviously Graham Walker owes an enormous gratitude to you just for pushing indulgence to the forefront. Tell us a little bit about how that came about.
1: Well, I mean, I was, um, you know, I mean, Graham's been a fantastic, uh, you know, supporter of British Yachting going back. And I, you know, I started, uh, I actually first met Graham at the half-ton cup in pool when I was uh, on a Dubois half-tonner called Honey with uh, the South Africans. And, um, you know, Graham, and I was living in Jersey, working in the finance industry at the time. And Graham said, oh, you know, I'd like to come, you know, I might move to Jersey. So he moved to Jersey and we became friends and then he, he then started to, you know, look in following from the first half tonner. Um, you know, he did the one tonner, um, which I didn't sail on because I was sailing my own boat at the time. And then, you know, the Dubois 44 um which became victory, and uh, and then, you know, we from then on, um, you know, Bob Wiley and I worked very closely on all the indulgences after that. You, you, you know, so we worked together. Bob did all the sort of hard work and I did the sort of organisation and the and the work in the background. And, you know, Graham was an amazing owner, amazing owner.
0: I'm, I'm going to piss you off now, Morty. I watched every race of that half-ton cup in Pool Bay, 1978.
1: What, well, from your pushchair? Yeah, yeah. Um,
0: uh, probably a Westerly former, um, yeah. uh, probably a Westerly Centaur one day. Uh, went out and watched... All of the inshores, It was absolutely brilliant. Oh, it was! I remember. Yeah, uh, indulgence was a hustler 32, wasn't it? The Graham
1: cell. Exactly. Yeah, 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 yeah. And we, I had a we had a centreboard um, wooden half tonner designed by Dubois, which uh, wasn't quite as fast as the Hustler 32 or Wave it w- wasn't
0: quite as fast as the other centreboarder in no. the Fleet Wave Rider.
1: Exactly. But I think I think if I remember rightly, I think there were trials for the forty British places.
0: Yeah, I think you're right.
1: Um, yeah. You know, and that's sort of a bit of a reflection of the, of the numbers and the quality that of the teams in those days. You just can't imagine that, you know, there were 40 British places for the half-ton fleet and there were trials to get into that 40.
0: I mean, how many boats did that event? 55, 60 boats?
1: Yeah, probably. Yeah. Yeah, 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 yeah. The wave rider won it and I think Jeff Meek was up there in Guab.
0: Yeah. S- second was Indulgence. Third was a boat called Anke, a French boat, I think.
1: Yeah, as a you as Nibo boat. Yeah.
0: Yeah. Uh, Smoky Bear was in the top five. I think yeah. Santa Rovita was fifth.
1: Yeah, the Bagnalls. Yeah.
0: Yeah. Uh, nice. Guap yeah. was up there. Yeah. Um, Tumble Home was up there.
1: Yeah. That was, that was a Jones boat, I think. The Goodies was. It's on eBay at the moment, I think, somebody said. So there you go.
0: <laughs> really? Yeah. Oh, God, don't. I, I'll be bidding for it. Oh, man. No. <laughs> <laughs>
2: Oh, Halcyon days. Sorry, we digress, Morty. Sorry. No, I'm, I'm still, Morty, I'm still in awe. I said it last week, at, at Sturfry's ability to remember every single race, even even when he wasn't involved and when he was basically in a push chair, he still has the results for every single race done. So this is his absolute idea of heaven of having you on because he can now well, well, we, every race for the last 40 years you've been involved.
1: I'm sure. Sturfry and I have actually done quite a lot of racing together and we, we sort of... Sometimes sitting there waiting for races, or even during the race when we get, you know, we do have a shitter sponsoring competition. <laughs> and, um, you know, I have to say, probably between us, we would be an unbeatable pair because I'm sort of a little bit into it as well. Take and on all covers, quite water detail, water. not quite the detail that stir fry is, but we might have to start a spot the shitter challenge, yeah, exactly. <laughs> <laughs> but well, but that, those, I mean, just
0: not that they were shitters in any way, but that uh, period of half-tonners that, that Graham was involved with and you were involved with, and then it led into you know the bigger boats in the Admiral's Cup. I mean, some of your fondest sailing memories must be Admiral's Cup 81 to 89.
1: Yes. I mean, you, you know, uh, I, I listened uh, to Harold the other night. He was being interviewed. And I, uh, you know, I remember very well the 85 Admiral's Cup where we, we built um, a daniel Andrea uh, one tonner uh, in France and raced it at La Trinity and had brought it back for the trials. And it was, you know, it was us, Panda, Jade. It was a really strong team of one tonners. And um, on one of the trial races, we around the back of the island, uh, beating up towards the nab, and we clipped the remains of the Empress Queen just off Bembridge Ledge. And uh, it didn't sound like a big bang, but we tacked and went off towards the... Nab, and we we'd obviously cut this thing on the, on the um, port side, uh, and then we tacked. It went out to the nab, and the hole obviously came out the water, and um, so went down below. They didn't see anything. We went around the nab, and uh, and we sort of we were I think we were second I think at the time, and we slowly got past. and Harold was jumping up and down, going there, screaming at the trimmers and whatever. And then we got passed by um, by Laurie. And I think Ed Danby went down below and he poked his head up and he said, uh, Harold, I said, I don't want to, I don't want to alarm you. He said, but we're sinking. <laughs> and, um, and there was a and a load of abuse from Harold saying, Oh, don't worry about that. And eventually I think we, the boat sunk. Uh, Larry Marks came alongside in his boat and we just stepped up onto Larry's boat. And then we got back to Leamington and all, all sorts of things had gone off. And um, anyway, we got approached by, by the selectors to say, you know, you'd, we'd done pretty well in the trials because we had a really good team on board and they, they offered us a boat called rubber duck, which was um, a beret French one tonner. And um, Harold, the master of the years, looked. you know, we went and sailed with the boat and he said, Oh, it's too fast upwind and it's got too much writing moment to this. So Bob took to the keel with a chainsaw and Eddie took to the sails. And, and then we went out the following weekend and we, polished off the trials and we ended up being top boat in the Admiral's Cup with that boat. So So, is
0: is it true that you were the guy who said uh, we're not sailing around with a bloody name rubber duck on the side we've got to come up with something different and from that was born the name Phoenix?
1: Exactly exactly yeah (laughs) Yeah. I mean they used to go out to the start line with this yellow rubber duck being towed astern and I thought it's mm, not really it's not really you is it Morton? Probably
2: (laughs) the British Admiral's Cup team but anyway there you go. Um, didn't you um, didn't you have quite a close and I, actually? I, I, and I want to definitely focus on all your great positive wins like that, rather than your sinkings. But yeah. didn't you have quite a close shave off the lizard as well when a dicky bird told you me that you might even have been navigating at the time.
1: No, I didn't navigate in in, in eighty five. Actually, David Arnold did. Um, I was trimming. Um, I was trimming with Bob. I, I was doing one side, and Bob was doing the other. The the. Um, the getting out the tide bit at the lizard was eighty nine actually. And I was I navigated in the eighty nine fastnet. And yes, we um you know, it was before the, the days of sort of accurate GPS really. So I was sort of down below with the depth sounder and the charts and the dead reckoning and the RDF, and I think Bob all of a sudden I heard the scream from up, upstairs, Tack. And the boys tacked, and I sort of popped up the head, and there was a bloody rock about three feet away from us poking up in the air so I think the dead reckoning was a little bit off at the time. <laughs> while we're
0: on sinkings we've <laughs> spoken about um, another one of Harold's sinkings on the pod when he put Jameson up the bricks in 93 and you took that boat and gave it another life I think and then were t-boned by Jamarella in the winter series and sunk that boat again is that correct
1: well, I didn't sink it. I mean, I, I, I was sunk. But you, oh, I, sorry, sorry, sorry. You were involved. Yeah, I mean, I did buy that boat. And, and, and funny enough, um, Richie, Richie Faulkner and I came up with a plan and uh, Hugh Wellborn did some modifications and we turned it into a, what was an early IMS boat and did the Commodore's Cup with it. And actually, it was, it was a good boat. But we were doing a winter series and, um, yeah, we were sort of sailing in on, we were, we were on starboard and, I think Alan Gray bought a new Beneteau something, something with a uh, with an anchor on the bow and the anchor of the bow ended up in our cockpit. And so the boat sunk pretty quickly. So we got off, we got where we actually half of us went swimming and half of us got into a rib and uh, the boat sunk on, on the right bank and the mast was sticking up anyway. So they sent, the guy sent some blokes out the next day and they floated it and they were towing it into cows and the tow rope broke and it ended up, sort of going west to Solent somewhere and sunk and never found it again. So eventually I got sort of sorted out with the insurance. And about 18 months later, I got a phone call from the Harbourmaster at Portsmouth and he said, "Uh, do you own a boat called Tram? And I went, no, I said, it sunk 18 months ago. And he said, well, I've got it. And I said, what do you mean you've got it? And he said, well, it's floated to the surface and anyway, it floated to the surface and ended up down in Portsmouth and what had happened was I think the boat slowly broke up and the keel fell off and the engine fell out and of course it was a composite boat it came back up to the surface.
0: like a dead body
1: oh yeah so I think then um, uh, Richie Faulkner and I we went down to Portsmouth pulled it out of the water and cut it up and took it up to the landfill site so that's where it ended up. And I, Are you
0: are you responsible for that kind of thing when it happens as the previous owner? What's well,
1: I said to the guy, look, don't call. I said to the hover muscle, look, it's not my problem. It's the insurance company. He said, no, mate. He said, it's your problem. And I'm going to be charging you 500 quid a day unless you come down here. <laughs> but um, funny enough, the rubber and the tiller was there. So I took the tiller off and presented it to Harold, just mm-hmm. as a bit of a memento. <laughs> <laughs>
2: Um, oh, that's good. I think we, we don't, definitely don't want to focus on all your sinkings. We want to focus no, no. on all of your winnings, but it's quite fun hearing about the sinkings when you haven't been involved. It's um, so fun. I was chatting last week, the week before, about all the incredible things you've done. But actually, I think one of the reasons we are so keen to chat to you was it's interesting how many people that we've been speaking to really put a huge word of thanks to you for their careers. And we started off with Ian Walker, who was really keen to mention your name. Last week we were chatting to Andy Beadsworth and he's exactly the same. Sterfer and I feel it's, it's an extraordinary thing to see how many campaigns you've been involved with, but also how many potential careers you've helped build. And is it something you've always liked to do, helping the youngsters get involved? or um, what was it? Well,
1: I, I, think it's, I think it's really important because I think you know, it's pretty difficult sometimes for people to make the jump from dinghies into big boats. I mean, I used to sail Well, I started off sailing boats not dissimilar to an optimist and ended up sailing fireballs and 505s but getting into big boats you know i got a break from a guy in jersey called george skelly when ed dubois and i were you know both youngsters and, and we got a chance on a boat called borsalino Um and his previous boat before that which ed and i did the first fastnet on in, in in 73 together so i had that chance and i always thought you know i always believed that a good sailor in a dinghy was always going to be a good sailor and that you really couldn't be a a top sailor in big boats, unless you were pretty good at dinghies. And I think, um, you know, John and Ian were a perfect example. They'd won their, you know, their, their silver medal and they sh- probably should have won gold. And I was, we were putting together an Admiral's Cup team and it was a struggle. You know, it went from being loads of boats, um, you know, maybe 10, 15, even 20 boats for the British trials down to struggling to get a team together. And, um, you know, I got asked if I, with Graham, if we'd put one together. And um, you know, I said we would, but we needed to bring some, you know, really young, good dinghy sailors in. And uh, I remember speaking to to John and Ian and said, look, you know, if I get the money together and arrange a boat, would you do the Mum 36? And they said, oh, yeah, we'd love to do that. So I then got, you know, I said to the Rourke, um that, you know, we had a team. There was Graham um, and I can't remember. I think it might have been. Who was it? it was it easy or... Um...
0: Yeah, uh, well, Tim Barrett was, was our owner on Tim the 36th, and then Easy oars with Tony Buckingham, and you yeah,
1: and Graham so, on the and I knew boat. I knew Tony pretty well from, um, you know, far 40 days and what have you, and then Graham had the big boats. So I went to the Rourke and said, look, right, we've got a three-boat team, but it has to be these three boats. We're not interested in, you know, you messing around. Um, and because, you know, Harold had taught us that we needed a team and not three boats, um, and we'd won the Admiral's Cup in 89 by by having a team and having team team tactics. So I went to them and said, we've got the three boats, but it has to be, it's all three or nothing. And they said, oh, no, 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 you yeah, know we're going to do this. And I said, well, fine, that's okay. Um, and left the room. And then, of course, I got a phone call about three weeks later saying, oh, well, we haven't got a team. And I said, okay. So I got summoned <laughs> up to London and uh, I took Johnny with me. And we were sitting down in a committee room. And, and, of course, all the committee said, well, of course, you know, the offshore racing is... Is, is, you know, is where all the points are and you have to be good at offshore racing and, and and, and John, have you ever been offshore? And uh, Johnny looked up and he said, yeah, I have actually. He said, well, what, when was that? And he said, well, I took my 470 across the channel a few weeks ago, he said, on the ferry. <laughs> and that was it. So, but anyway, I mean, Graham was very much of the same mind. So we stuck to our guns and of course, you know, they had a really, uh, you know, they had a really strong team. They ended up, I think they ended up being, top mum 36, if I remember rightly. Um, yeah, we won the fast net. Won the fast net, you know, so that was, that to me was, um, you know, something that uh, I was proud of because, you know, years before that, I'd, I, I'd sort of won the X99 nationals a couple of times and we had some young guys on the boat and I met Glyn Charles because he was sailing an X99 at the time. So I, w- I, I always, you know, it never let me down taking on really good, young sailors and so I, I sort of kept going with that you know With Simon Sturfry with you on GBE and Andy Beesworth and Glynn and um, you know all of those that was a whole team of young guys who did an amazing job on a one tonner. amazing job so you know I've always people said to me what do you want out of it and I said well you know maybe one day when I'm in my wheelchair or something that you know one of somebody might win a big race and might say well you know Morty got me going in in big boats that's it. Well, there's a lot. There's it. a lot.
0: There's a lot of people doing that, and you're not even anywhere near a wheelchair, Morton.
2: <laughs> well, who knows? Not to <laughs> win, at least. Yeah.
1: So it's it's and it's. Yeah, it, I think it's important. You know, I I I sort of helped Kid Hob Hobday a little bit with a Bear of Britain campaign when when they had you know a lot of youngsters on that and in the Admirals Cup. I think Stewie and I got on board and you know gave them a little. Oh, bit we of won the Com- we won the Commodores Cup, didn't we? We did. Yeah. Yeah. God, I'd forgotten that. Yeah, yeah. Yeah. And it was, it's always, you know, a good idea to blend um, you know, some young guys in with some of the more experienced guys and give them give them uh you know, give them a help up. Oh, on GBE, I think we put Drift on board, didn't we, Sturfright? We didn't had we? we had Ed
0: Danby our two grown ups were basically Danby and um yeah. Ed Du Well, yeah,
1: exactly. Yeah. And and you know, Ed Danby is an amazing sailor and gave so much experience to the
2: young guys, but you gave
1: earache to a lot
2: of the young guys. Exactly. <laughs> yeah. yeah. <laughs> <On your toes. laughs> we're rushing through things quite quickly actually because you know I think it's almost it's remiss to, uh, to to go past the 87, 89 cup teams that you guys put together because the indulgence campaign became such a famous part of British sailing. I'd love to know I'm completely intrigued actually as to your passion for cordatunnas. <laughs> and, <laughs> and where, where it started.
1: And well, the quarter Tuna was the first sort of big boat that I had. I, I used to sail 505s in Jersey, and we had a big storm in, uh, must have been 74, 75, and um, I got a phone call um, from the master to say, you better come down to the harbour, and Jersey's got a 12-metre rise and fall of tide. And all the 505s were on the, um, on, the, on the key edge and most of them had blown into the harbour um, with a tide out. So there they were lying in the bottom 12 metres down, pretty well smashed up. And uh, so I... I uh, another accident. But anyway, um, I then decided, you know, dinghy sailing was pretty hard there because you always had to go away to, to do any competition to France or to the UK so I decided I'd I'd get a little boat. And um, 45 degrees south had just won the quarter-tonne cup, or the year before had won the quarter-tonne cup in uh, in Cherbourg, I think it was, and they were building them in France. Uh, and one of the guys that was working uh, at the shipyard, which was Chantier Mallard in La Rochelle, I think, was a guy called Jean-Marie Danilou, who used to sail 505s, and I'd raced against him a bit in France. So I phoned him up and I said... Um, Jean-Marie, would you sell me a hull and deck? Because I couldn't afford to buy a full boat. So he said, yeah, yeah. He said, I'll buy I'll sell you a full and deck. So I went down there with a mate of mine and we picked up a hull and deck. And, um, you know, Jean-Marie said, oh, come with me. So we went around the back of the yard and he said, there's a keel and there's a mast and there's all these other bits. So we loaded all that up on and I gave him a bottle of scotch. And <laughs> I, I, Over the winter, um, myself and three others, we built this far, extended the garage and built a far 727 in, in Jersey. And uh, which was a, a, just an amazing little boat. I mean, or still are really good fun today. And, uh, you know, I sailed that for a few years. And then, funny enough, Ed Dubois, who had been in Jersey uh, in the early 70s doing his pupilage with Alan Buchanan, uh, started up his uh, own design office. And, you know, I sort of helped Ed get going. And he, you know, he sort of phoned me up and said, What are you doing sailing around the far boat? I want to design you a quarter tonner. So, he, he designed the quarter tonner, um, which was a boat called Quick Flash. And um, we actually started making a few in a chicken shed in Jersey and they became the, the Star Flash quarter tunners. So I sailed, you know, two or three quarter tunners uh, in Jersey and then odd job turned up in Jersey and a load of other ones turned up in Jersey. So we had a good little fleet of quarter tunners and then eventually it moved on to half tonners, and then X-99s and three quarter tonners, and what have you. So... When we wanted the little boat to sail around here again, I thought, "Oh, I'll go and see if I can find my old quarter tonner." So I f- found my original quarter tonner and brought it back. And a few other people said, "Oh, you know, that's great fun." So there you go. So
0: Morty, is it true that because of the rise and fall, you were doing a race in Jersey and got stuck in the Lido in a quarter tonner?
1: Not in a quarter tonner. No, it was an Alan Buchanan boat and. I don't know whether you've ever been to Jersey, but in front of the hotel, uh, the Grand Hotel in Jersey, there's a, a swimming pool. And it's a captive swimming pool between, between the Grand Hotel and Elizabeth Castle. And of course, when the tide's up, the water comes in and people swim on the beach. And when the tide goes out, the, um, the swimming pool retains the water because the tide goes out past Elizabeth Castle, which is probably close to two miles. Yeah. I was sailing with my old man one day and the tide, funny enough, in St Helier Bay, always goes the same way around. It's, it always goes uh, anti-clockwise. And we were coming back towards St Helier from St. Oban's and the old man said, oh, we need to go in close to the beach. We need to go in close to the beach. So we're sort of tacking up the beach and it was really light airs. And then all of a sudden I heard bump and looked over the side and there was the wall. Oh, bloody hell. So we turned around to get back to the other side of the pool. Bump. So we were in the pool. So, and of course, it, when, it, when you know, when you've got 12 metre rise and fall of tide, it drops pretty quick. Yeah. So we had to anchor in the middle of the pool uh, and it was a spring tide. So sure enough, the next day in the newspaper, there was a picture of his yacht anchored in the middle of swimming pool and you could see sand <laughs> as far as you like. So, actually, well, I, I, it wasn't my fault. It was my old man's fault. Yeah. Oh, good. Yeah. Yeah.
2: Pass the blame. So did you grow up in Jersey then? Is that where your family were from?
1: Well, I was born in Jersey, no, but I was brought up in Papua New Guinea. Um, and in that particular incident, it was when I was on holiday with my dad. No, um, my father um, worked um, for the government in Papua New Guinea. So I was out there from, well, I went, I went to New Guinea when I was nine months old um, and lived in a number of places in New Guinea and then went to school, in a boarding school in Australia. And I didn't get back to Jersey until I was 18 or 19.
2: So you cut your teeth in the famous Port Moresby Yacht Club.
1: Well, I did that only for the last four years I, I, I was basically I lived on an island called Samurai, which is down in the Mill Bay district, which is when I first went sailing, which this island was, uh, was six hundred meters by two hundred meters um, and uh, there, there was about one hundred and fifty people living on it and um, uh, My dad built me a little boat very similar to an optimist, and I used to just go sailing up uh, after school every day. I used to just go sailing because there was nothing else to do. Um, so that's where I started, and then I moved to Port Moresby and uh, sailed uh, at the Royal Papua Yacht Club there. Yeah, in fireballs and, and the late in late and uh, lightweight sharpies, the Australian lightweight sharpies, which were good.
2: So you've definitely always been an island man, in that case.
1: I do. I I like islands. Yeah. I um, you know when I moved back from Jersey when my daughter got ill, I. I moved initially to Southampton and Winchester, but I didn't like it. I just had to always want to be back. And then when I decided to move, I sort of moved back to the Isle of Wight. Yeah, I do like islands, actually. I like, I like looking at the water, and I feel very uncomfortable if I can't see the water.
2: <laughs> yeah. um, so going back to the quarter-tonners, you've obviously managed to rip through an extraordinary number of quarter-tonners. I was kind of looking up. First of all, I couldn't believe quite how many quarter-ton cups you've managed to win. And uh, you've probably lost count, but I don't know—is it five? Is it six? I can't. No,
1: reckon. no, no. I don't think it's that many. I think it's it's three <laughs> or four. Stretch. I think. Um, uh, I don't think I've won. I don't think I've won that many. I haven't really um, concentrated on the last, you know, five or six, seven years. I've sort of Louise has picked up the man, mantle in that, yeah. and then more recently <laughs> Sam Sam Laidlaw yeah. and stuff. But and then of course Southie last year won it, so it's yeah. good. It's good.
2: Do you have a Do you have a particular favourite? I know you've gone through Bullet, aspar or Anchor Challenge. Is there one that's particularly close to your heart? Well, I mean, Bullet is an amazing boat. It's just such an easy boat
1: to say. It's a, such a forgiving boat, um, and you know they can punish you downwind those boats. If, um, but the the bullets are a really nice, beautifully balanced boat. Um, so I think yeah, Bullet is probably the favourite. But You know, Esparta was a good boat. Anchor Challenge was a really good boat. That was a Cookson boat that Chris Dixon's father sailed in the quarter ton cup in New Zealand. So um, I quite like them when they've got a bit of provenance. So, um, and you know, and I I keep finding them and buying them and bringing them back. So I've bought a couple in Italy recently. So they'll be on their way back. So it's a dangerous addiction that. Um, Well, it's a disease actually, more than an addiction because. um, But I think, you know, I, I quite like um, doing them and then letting other people get into it. So I think it's important that, y- you know, that you move them along and um, get other people into the class. Otherwise, the classes just die, don't they?
0: Yeah, you need fresh blood. Um, yeah. And you, and you yeah. need people who are passionate about the class. And if you combine the two, you have a very, very successful recipe.
1: Yeah. And the other thing with the quarter of Tunnels, I think, is, good, is they're good little IRC boats. You know, you can... You don't have to just keep them for the quarter ton cup. You can go racing IRC. They've run round the island. Louise has won, you know, the national, the women's keelboat championships, sort of year after year. They're they're, they're good in IRC in the small boats. Yeah, you can race them any time. So um,
0: from from the um, quarter tonners, that's where your association and long-standing friendship with Bruce started.
1: Yes, yeah, yeah. I mean, I I met Bruce um, not long. Uh, not long after the quarter-ton cup. In fact, Bruce came to stage. with him. We should just point
0: out, sorry, Martin, that's Bruce Farr, not Bruce Springsteen. Okay, yeah, yeah, so. Bruce Farr, yeah, yeah,
1: yeah. Yeah, I've known Bruce for a long, long time. And uh, when he was thinking about leaving New Zealand, he, uh, he looked at Annapolis for his design office, or he looked in Europe, and he actually did come to look at, to, came to Jersey and thought about setting up in Jersey, but decided to go to Annapolis. But, we, you know, I've known him since then. Good guy.
0: Yeah. You've even got a dog called after him, haven't
1: you? I have got a dog called after him, yeah.
0: You'll shout in a minute, Bruce! It's not, it's,
1: it's, <laughs> it's, not, it's not after, it's not necessarily after Bruce's father. It's just so that uh, when you're in the park, you know, the previous dog was called Dave. So um, Louise, poor Louise at the stand, there calling Dave, Dave, and now she has to stand calling Bruce, Bruce. So <laughs> that was a punishment for me paying
2: for it. <laughs> talking of provenance you you obviously you you never you never stand still you've done on your quarter tonners but also um you've had a variety i think of of half tonners which swazzle bubbles been a big a big part of the half tonne story um where where you i presume like all the rest of your boats you find her in a shed in the middle of france unloved
1: no funny enough i mean i've Swazzle Bubble and Gumboat Rangariri, I think, were sort of one of my old favourite ever boats. I thought they were amazing boats. They were really cool boats to look at. Um, you know, they were incredibly quick, really nicely balanced. And um, when, when I'd sort of, I decided that uh, I might try and fill some gaps in, because I'd won the quarter-ton cup and I'd won the three-quarter-ton cup um, with Graham on indulgence in 86, I think, Sturford, wasn't it, in Torquay? Eighty-six Torquay, yeah. Yeah, yeah. So, so I'd won the quarter ton cup and I'd won the three-quarter ton cup, and I'd I'd tried for the half ton cup and never won it. So, I I sort of did my homework and thought, oh, looked at the numbers, and the, and that gunboat and Swizzle were long. They were about a foot longer than any other half tonner, and I'm not a naval architect, but I do know that long boats tend to go faster than short boats. So I tracked down. Um, I gumboat was is in Italy, um, but the guy wasn't interested in selling it, and. Um, Anyway, I eventually tracked down Swazzle Bubble to a, uh, a place in Rhodes in Greece and an island. So I, I, I actually got hold of the guy and he said, yeah, yeah. He said, I, um, you know, I, I would be interested in selling it. He said, but I haven't seen it for years because it's in a junkyard. So um, I jumped on a plane and went down to Rhodes. And sure, sure enough, it was in this sort of scrapyard, um, not far from the harbour, lying on its side. Uh, everything had been stolen off it, um, even the keel bolts, and some some guy started the fire inside it. So it was in a hell of a state. So um, the guy said to me, "Look, you can have it for a euro." So um, okay, so I thought, well, that's great. Um, and, but getting it back, what a nightmare! Getting it back because you have to go through a Greek paperwork is just off the off the scale. So um, I went through all the departments: the harbour master, the local authority. Then there was the revenue. And the by the time I got to the seventh department, I paid out about 500 euros in bribes to all these blows. So I couldn't get the last bit of paperwork. So we, end, we got the boat back to, to Athens. And um, I phoned up George Andriatus and said to him, George, have you got somewhere I can put a half ton of it? Because George has got like huge sheds full of these boats. So we put it in one of these sheds. And I got International Rescue led Pritchard to go down and um, so he drove down, <laughs> put it on a trailer and then just bolted <laughs> out of the place and uh, got it back. And then, I mean, structurally, funny enough, it was quite good. But we, um, you know, our Anthony Haynes at Alpha Plus, we did it up over the winter and um, then took it to the one-ton cut where the half-ton cut where we won every race. So, it, so that was, you know, that was something good and then sailed it for time. And then uh, I was just getting too busy, so I sold it. But a fantastic boat. Still good boat. And I think it's won the Half Done Cup three times since then. I, mean, I think every time it's done it, it's won. Good looking boat.
2: Th- throughout all this time, as you allude to, you, you, are, um, you are still full-time in the finance world.
1: Yeah. Yeah, yeah. I mean, I used to get, you know, I used to get time off um, because... You know, it was quite good for business and, and you know, the, I used to get quite a lot of support from that. So, um, yeah, it was, but I used to do it within, mainly do it within sort of holidays and a little bit of sort of time off without pay and a little bit of time off because of the level of sailing. You know, Admiral, Admiral's Cup would always get me a bit of time and World Championship would get me a bit of time, but but no more than that.
2: Uh, one thing we, we missed out, Stir Fry, was, and I know Stir Fry will be keen to chat about it, your involvement with Stir Fry and with, with the Tour de Voile, which you um, set the boys up on, didn't you?
1: Yes. I mean, when I, uh, you know, in when I moved back to the UK, you know, one of my children got very ill and I had to move back to the UK. And um, so I sort of gave up working full time. And, and, and I sort of phoned up, and then I phoned up Bruce and said, you know, Bruce, should we do something together? And he said well, you know, we've got these one designs coming along, um, you know, why don't you help with those? And and I was sort of kicking my heels a little bit. So I said, yeah. Um, so we started off uh, with the mum, um, which, you know, we bought some tooling over and had them done at Ovingtons up in Newcastle. And then we did the Corel 45 at the time and the Far 40. And... The Mum 30, through our agent in France, um, you know, we'd sold, I don't know, we sold about 130 Mum 30s, but our agent in France was pushing very hard to get them nominated for the Tour of Wall, and they got selected for the Tour of Wall. and um, ADO came up to me um, in 99 when we were doing the Admiral's Cup, um, you know, I had Venture 99 then and said, you'd like to have a go at the um, Tour of Voile and that he'd got some sponsorship and what have you. And I said, okay, so, you know, I'll build the boat and um, pay for the boat and you get they'll pay for the running of the campaign. And, uh, you know, so that was really much ADO's baby, but, you know, with a little bit of support for me. And that was a fantastic, probably, you know, I didn't do too many of the races, two or three of them, but that was probably the strongest team I think I've sailed with. Really strong team, just never weak you know, I sort of get a little bit tired when people tell me how good these French sailors are and, you know, how good they are at sailing and all that. And I'm sure they are single handed, but, you know, I've done enough racing in France when we used to go down and do speed West with uh, the indulgences and all that. And even to some extent, my boat and, um, to know that it's not actually as true as the myth isn't as true as people make out. So I was quite interested to, uh, I'm quite patriotic actually. So, I was quite uh, quite interested to take a a boat to France and um, show them that you know that Trafalgar wasn't an accident. So, <laughs> you know, Ado put a fantastic team together and um, you who know
2: is, who was on that team.
1: Well, um, it was a t- it was a it was a team effort. Um, there was uh, Ado, Timmy Powell, Stewie Childly, Ian Walker, Jules Salter, Nipper Salter, Andy Hemmings, stir fry, uh, shag. French fry, shag. You know, it was a very, very strong side. And and they just smashed it. I mean, there were 54 boats, I think, in the event. You know, it's just one going away, basically. And it was quite interesting because after that, every time I went to France, you know, I sort of, um, people brought it up. You know, people like Jimmy Pahoon and all those guys, you know, Bertrand Passet and all those guys that did it, who were sort of, legends in France remember having, you know, being rolled over big time by the roast beefs. Having um,
0: their pants pulled down and their bottoms spoked.
1: Yeah, yeah. <laughs> and um, yeah, it was, I mean, it was, it, it was a fantastic achievement, but, but not much to do with me, if I'm perfectly honest.
0: 20-year celebration this year, Morty. I think the dude
1: <laughs> we are, is, we're gonna is planned
0: for August, but you know, for August. we yeah. might be socially distancing.
1: We might not be stir fry that night. go well <laughs> I might just pay the fine and be done with it.
2: It's another joy of being on an island. Make sure you do it on the Isle of Wight, and you can. T- yeah, t- exactly. I mean, there's not three prisons
1: on the island for no reason, mate. Right so. <laughs>
0: <laughs> and, and I hear that uh, good news. The fast forties have got a bit of racing planned late in the year. Is that?
1: Yeah, I had an email the other day. Um, you know, they're kind of expecting things to get eased up and there there is something written into these rules about elite sport and because half the crew on a fast 40-year pros, then um, uh, I think there's a move afoot to say we can go sailing in August and there are six six weekends planned from the middle of August on to the end of October. So we'll get the full season in That's every second news. weekend. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I think and everybody's chomping at the bit to get back, so... Um, yeah, you know, we'll, that's
2: the plan at the moment. And, and how's how's the Fast 40 fleet looking at the moment?
1: Well, I mean, I it, it's it's not growing, that's for sure. But it seems to be, you know, reasonably stable at the sort of slightly lower levels of the first year. You know, there's a couple of boats that have been bought that weren't out last year, and there's a couple of boats that have gone. So I don't expect it'll be the same number as two years ago. But you know, I wouldn't be surprised if we have seven or eight. Uh, on a good day, uh, I know a couple of them have said enough's enough. I'm not going to bother this year. You know, frankly, if you're doing these short races, as long as you've got six or seven boats, it's pretty good racing.
0: Yeah, you're never
2: more than three boat legs apart, are you? So no. Was that was that a sort of um, quite a surprise that the fast forties kicked off as they did and provided such brilliant racing? Well, I I wasn't in, involved with it from day one. Robbie
1: Greenhalgh actually, you know, made it all happen. Um, I think 40 foot's always been a great size for the Solent. You know, it's big enough that they get up and go. Um, it's big enough to push on, but it's not so big that you get stuck in the Solent. And so therefore it's all, I think it's a great size for the Solent. And, and I think the beauty of them is that you could, you could pick up the GP 42s, you know, reasonably uh, economically and race them, um, at a high level. So, um, and you could also build new ones. So And they were semi-custom, the, the, you know, the, the Kers from China and the Karki the from Dubai. You know, they, they weren't ridiculously expensive boats. So it wasn't really a surprise. And hopefully, I, you know, there hasn't been any new ones built other than Iran, but that doesn't really matter because there's good racing, you know, amongst the rest of the fleet. I sold my Karki boat last year and because we were sort of, funny enough, the fleet was quite interesting in so much as RAN was a, you know, a whole step above everybody else. And then there was us who who were not as quick as RAN, but we were quicker than the GPs. So I decided that uh, I didn't really want to build a new boat and be the only other brand new boat. So one of the GPs um, was giving up and I had a pretty good offer for my boat and boats are pretty easy to buy and hard to sell. So I sold it and bought the old Zephyr. So, you know, irrespective of what happens, there's now sort of four or five boats of that era and and you know, we'll have good racing. I mean, the difference in speed's pretty small, but you know, they they are great fun boats to sail. They they do get up and go.
0: Stretch, we have to ask every uh, guest that we have on the podcast, Morty. Have you foiled yet?
1: No. No, I think there's two reasons probably why I haven't foiled well I have foiled actually but only as a guess but I mean I think there's two reasons why I wouldn't foil one is age and the other is size Uh, I'm
0: calling I'm calling you on both those with your new hip you'll be absolutely fine Could be. yeah could be and you look like you're about 97 kilos at the moment and the wasp will take 97 kilos
1: really yeah okay Steph well okay so maybe we get one together then I think we've got a part owner
2: stretch. <laughs> yeah, I'm so relieved. <laughs> oh God! Yeah. But the only problem with Morty though is that he won't be able to handle the wasp because he likes tweaking boats. He needs. He I needs do.
1: Talking about rugby, stir We had a couple of games of rugby on the beach in Antigua, didn't we?
0: We definitely played in Antigua.
1: We definitely. Oh, in Antigua we
0: played. Was that where you had to buy a new pina colada machine for the bar?
1: Exactly, yeah, yeah. yeah. Uh, because it blew up. And I think you ended up damaging about three or four Argentinians where they needed to... um, They've all become
0: great mates of mine because that was the first time I met the Alexia lot, Yeah. who then obviously were Matador, and I went to sail with them for eight years on the Matador and the Azura.
1: Yeah, that's right, yeah.
0: yeah. But our formative meeting was a little bit of semi-touch on the beach in Antigua.
1: Yeah, yeah, exactly.
0: Well, I think they toasted us at football absolutely... I mean, they they made us look ridiculous, and then you just said, uh, "This is ridiculous." So we gave him a game of touch, which was semi-touch, obviously. Yeah, and exactly. uh, uh, a state of equilibrium was resumed.
2: Yeah, that's yeah. it. So yeah. we levelled
1: the score. We lost. So levelled them. We won the rugby.
2: Yeah. Yeah, I think if 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 there's one person I never want to be playing touch rugby against is Stafford, because he doesn't do touch rugby. Yeah. <laughs> well, firm yeah. touch stretch. Yeah, 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 yeah. <laughs> Um, so Morty um, are you planning on I suppose you've got to take the summer well everyone's taking the summer a bit quietly now actually So it's probably quite good timing for you to be having your hip sorted out
1: yeah uh, yeah hopefully I should you know if, if it all goes to plan then you know I shall make the uh the fast 40 uh, regattas I'll certainly make um maybe not the first one if it's if it's windy I'll probably let somebody else take the boat but I, I don't see why not everybody tells me that it's 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 an amazing recovery arm yeah, um, so it should be up and running.
2: Should well, be up and running. Well, we wish Fantastic. you luck on that. Yeah, um, it would be good to have you dancing around the boat nimbly again, um, <laughs> really? or, at least, or at least crossing from one side. Well, to the,
1: yeah, I've, I've sort, um, sort of slightly. I've moved back in the boat stretch, as they say. As you get older, you move back. I started off in 1973 uh, on a sheath on a. Actually, it was an SNS 34 with Ed Dubois doing the bow path net race, and then um, I've slowly moved back. So I'm now, I'm now right at the back, which
2: is fine. I've, I've no, only ever known you right at the back. Doing yeah. an extremely yeah. good job. Well, I've been around a long time, Stretch. Morty, thank you very much. stir fry, you thank you. Thanks, uh, Stretch. Thank you very much, Morty. A lovely way to spend the Friday evening. And please send lots of love to Louise as well. You will do, yeah.
0: Thanks so much for listening. We hope you've enjoyed the pod. Leave us a rating on iTunes. Stretch and Stir Fry, signing off. See you soon.